Uh, good morning, everybody. I had, I had to bring my chi out here because my voice decided it's going to quit sometime. So we'll see how we do this morning. Uh, it's good to see you. And, and I, I've got to tell you, so this year, uh, we're hitting those, those, those crazy different milestones in our family. And something strange started happening in our family this year where our kids, some of our kids have started going to movies without us. As our parents, they're gone with friends, they're watching movies, and has been fun. My daughter went this week with some friends to celebrate her birthday, so they, they watched me. It, it got me thinking about when I started getting to go see movies without my parents. And as I was thinking about it, there, there are two movies that, that stood out in my mind, and, and I'm not like a movie, crazy movie fan, right? Like, I enjoy movies, I'll watch movies, it's fun, but like, if you ask me what movies were out of the theater, I could tell you the one that my daughter went to see. And outside of that, I'm not sure, right? That's just never been that big of a deal. But but when I was in middle school and high school, right, that was like freedom. And so I remember going to the movies and 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 the movies that I love and the ones that I remember and really have enjoyed are, are ones that, that have a surprise factor, right? And so there, there's, as I was thinking about it, there's two movies that I remember going to see in the theaters without my parents that were like had that surprise factor, but they're they're very different surprise factors, right? So the first one was The Sixth Sense, right? And it's that movie where you watch the movie, it's a crazy cool movie, and then right at the end it's like, <clears throat> and then you sit in the theater for another hour being like, what just happened, right? And all the movies, although the movie's 25, 24 years old, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. You can find the surprise for yourself. I'm not going to ruin it. The other movie, though, was surprising, but for a whole different reason. The other movie I remember, this is one of the first ones I went and saw without parents, at Jurassic Park. All right? Now, why was Jurassic Park surprising? It's not because there was some big plot twist or crazy thing that happened. The reason it was surprising, like, they told you what was surprising about the movie in the beginning. They're like, come watch this movie because dinosaurs are alive. And it's crazy. And so you go watch the movie, and guess what happens? dinosaurs are alive and it's crazy like they, they tell you what's going to happen and you're still surprised and in awe like this is crazy i would never match right but is that surprise factor that that's so fun to see something that's so unexpected as i was thinking about that part of me this morning was thinking i was like you know what would be really fun is just to do something unexpected like with the band here in the trees i should just like come out through the trees that would have been fun, and you guys all would have been confused, but I probably would have made a mess and knocked things over, so that's why I skipped it. So that's what was going on in my head this morning. So we're, we're looking at the Gospels, and, and I think part of the fun of looking at each of these Gospels and the pictures they paint of Jesus is that we see these surprise factors in. Right? These, these things that, that catch people off guard. And we started this last week. Uh, if you weren't here, Ross kicked things off looking at, at the Gospel of Matthew and how Matthew paints this picture of Jesus as the saving king. And so today we're coming and we're, we're continuing our way through and we're looking at Mark. And now I know what you're thinking because I heard it from people earlier this morning. Like, oh, Mark, preaching on Mark, that's funny. That's why you picked it. No, it is funny, but I, I was given the opportunity to choose which gospel. I chose Mark, and here's why. Not because it's my name. If you look at your Bible... Matthew is 28 chapters, Luke's 24, John's 21, Mark is barely 16. Right? 
I think Mark is a, is a great name. I love it. But I, I've fallen in love with the, the gospel of Mark. And, and here's why. As, as Ross talked about last week, Matthew, right, Levi, he was, he was a tax collector. He was one of Jesus' disciples, and he's, he was a detailed person. And for those of you who know me well, I am not a detailed person. I love telling stories. I love but But when it comes to remembering details, it gets fuzzy, and I, I forget things. Right? And so Matthew wrote with tons of details, and he wrote to the Jewish people. And so he spends all this time with this long genealogy, and he spends all this time trying to prove to people Jesus was the promised Messiah. Look at how he's met all the requirements. He's the king. Right? And next week we'll hear uh, from Pastor Marty about Luke. And Luke's a, a doctor, so again, details. Like, I'm not good at that, right? He, he records so many things, and, and he's writing to a different audience. And John is just, a, it, we'll talk about that on Christmas Eve, but John is this poetic gospel, right? And that's not me, but Mark. Mark is like short and to the point, right? What you get, if you know me, like that's not quite right because I could ramble on forever and ever um, and talk forever. But, but Mark just gets to the action, like here's the stuff that matters. In fact, as we were talking about it this week, uh, Pastor Dave was joking with me that he's like, man, you know what, Mark, the gospel of Mark is almost like, it's just a whole bunch of sticky notes put together, right? Because it goes one story to the next. It just jumps, it's boom, 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 right through, right? And, and so we're, we're going to look at Mark and, and what it, it paints a picture of Jesus. It's a different picture because, again, there's no birth narrative. There's no story about Jesus' birth. There's no genealogy. You don't, you don't know where this guy came from. He just shows up on the sea. You see John the Baptist, then Jesus just dives in and starts working. And it's just a quick rapid pace book but through it all there's this overriding theme this this picture that mark paints of who jesus is and what he came to do and right in the middle of the book things kind of shift and so mark kind of breaks out you see this first half of just all this action-packed here's jesus doing stuff and then in the middle of the chapter jesus turns and starts heading to jerusalem and the rest of the book has there. And so the passage that we're going to focus in on today, kind of the, the key passage, I think kind of paints a picture for the rest or for the entire book is Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. I, I just want to read through this passage. Then we're going to talk a little bit about this picture that Mark paints of who Jesus is. So Mark 10, 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the drink, cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant, 
These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray before we jump into the rest of this this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. That you, that you haven't just left us on our own, but you've given us your word. That we can know you. And so, Jesus, this morning, as we spend time in your word, that, that we pray that you would just show yourself to us. That we would catch a glimpse of who you are. That we would understand more of your love for us and what it means for us to follow you. So, Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. So this, this passage, this story in Mark, right? This, this little glimpse of what happened on the road to Jerusalem, we see Jesus telling the disciples, here's what's going to happen. Uh, and, and in this interaction with the disciples, where then he plains this picture of, here's what the Son of Man, he, he tells them right there, right? Here's, here's the surprise factor. I'm telling you what's happening. Right? This is no plot twist. This is what you've seen all along. Because again, that's, that's how the book starts out. And so we see, especially in the first eight chapters of, of the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus at work. Right? Ryan shows up on the scene and he goes and starts serving people. So this picture that we see, this portrait of Jesus, is that Jesus is a God who serves. And again, in, in sticky note format, here's this quick story, here's another story, here's another story. We see Jesus move from one thing to the next at this like frantic pace. Right? There, there's no stopping in between. The Gospel of Mark doesn't record these long teachings of Jesus. It's all just these short interactions, these small little bits of what Jesus did. But we see him at this pace where, at this pace that he's going, he's skipping meals to serve people. He misses out on sleep to serve people. He's constantly on the go from one thing to the next, serving people and allowing himself to be used. Giving of himself for others. But there are surprises along the way. Because who did he come to serve? Well, everybody knew, right? All the religious leaders knew there's, there's this promised Messiah that we're waiting for, right? We saw that in Matthew. Here's this, this promised Messiah. And Jesus met all the, the criteria. He was there. He was the king who came to rescue. Rescue his people of Israel. But who did Jesus come to serve? Jesus came to serve the hurt. When we see that Peter's mother is sick and Jesus heals her. We see a man with a withered hand and Jesus heals him. When Jesus saw people hurting, it says he had compassion on them. Jesus healed them. Anyone who was hurt, Jesus came to heal the sick and the hurt. They also came to serve and the poor. And those who with the outcasts, those who are on the outside of society, those people who, whether it's because of disease or, or something else that weren't able to provide for themselves, they were the lowest of the low, and Jesus served them. And we see him healing the, the blind people who were forced to be beggars. We see him healing lepers. Anyone who had need 
who's poor and needy. He served that. He came to serve the broken. Again, story after story of people whose lives and bodies are broken, and Jesus steps in to heal and care. But then there's another twist, because he doesn't just come to heal the, the broken and the poor and the hurting of Israel, but he serves the foreigners. We see him heal from Roman officials' daughter. We, we see him heal the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. He heals those outside of Israel, outside of God's chosen people, because they're hurting in need. He heals the possessed and the outcast. I, I think the perfect picture that you see Matthew, again, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, who was a tax collector, he was a traitor who had betrayed his own people for gain. And so Matthew has a dinner. Well, who are going to be friends of Matthew and come to his house? Like, who's going to go hang out with a known traitor who betrays his people for money? Well, they, they weren't the best people, right? They're not the people your mom wants you to hang out with. And yet that's where Jesus goes. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, when the, the religious leaders are, are asking about, like, why are you here? Why are you with these people? Why aren't you coming to hang out at our house? Why aren't you coming to all of us who have it all together? And Jesus' response, Mark 2, 17, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So here's that surprise factor. Right? Jesus didn't follow the social expectations. He served everyone alike, those who are needy. He came to heal the broken and to care for the sick and the wounded. It didn't matter who they were. But here, here's the catch that we got to remember. This isn't, Jesus isn't just uh, some guy who came and served. Right? There's lots of great servants. We can, we can read through history and think of all these great servants who cared for people and done wonderful things. But Jesus is God who served. Again, he proved it, his authority and his power, time and time and time again. He healed miraculously. He walked on water. He calmed storms. He cast out demons. He raised people from the dead. He rose from the dead himself. He forgave sins. Jesus was God who served. Now again, there, there's this, this plot twist that, that people wrestle with. And this is one of those things that people in Jesus' day, this is what the religious leaders struggled with because they had in their mind uh, who Jesus was going to be, who the Messiah was going to be. He's going to be this conquering king who came in and rescued his people, set up his kingdom, overthrew the Romans and everyone else, and restored Israel to the good old days of David and Solomon. That's what they were hoping for. That's what they were wanting. That's what they were longing for. And in walks Jesus, the king, the God of the universe, but a God who serves. And he came hanging out with all the wrong people, taking care 
of all the wrong people. And people were stuck saying, this doesn't add up. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't how it works. Kings are supposed to be served, not to serve. It's the problem that people have with Jesus to this day. What kind of God, what kind of king leaves everything behind to come and serve his enemies? And so we're stuck with a surprising picture of who Jesus is. But this, again, this isn't that like sixth sense type of surprise, right? It's not like this movie where you think you've got all figured out that right at the end, everything changes. No, this is, this is the way it was always supposed to be. As we read through the Old Testament, we see this time and time again, pictures of Jesus coming as a servant. The Messiah was coming to serve. We see that in countless times in Isaiah. Isaiah, who, who was prophesying 500 years before Jesus. Multiple times, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 53, time and time again. Let me, let me read to you from Isaiah 42. This is the promise of the Messiah. Here's my servant whom, I'm, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him. And he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I'll take hold of your hand. I'll keep you and make you a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. The Messiah, the promised one, was coming to serve to care for the broken. And so this isn't a plot twist in the sense that people didn't know it was coming, but, but the, the religious leaders missed it. They were so focused on this idea that, that Jesus was coming as a king that they, they missed him when he showed up in front of them serving the broken. And so we see in the first eight chapters of Mark, Jesus serving person to person, running to, to care for and, and, and heal. But then in chapter 8, things start to change. Because in chapter 8 is when Jesus turns and starts to head to Jerusalem. And, and in Mark chapter 8 is when Peter declares to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And then Jesus predicts that he's going to die. And then begins this path to Jerusalem and where we, we come in chapter 10 to this, this passage we're reading today. That Jesus didn't just come to, to serve and care for the physical needs of people, but he came with an ultimate purpose, is to rescue and restore. He didn't just come to heal the brokenhearted and to fix people's infirmities. He came to restore them into right relationship with God. 
And so Jesus did come as a servant, but he came as a servant with a purpose, and that purpose was to save me and save you. Jesus came as a saving servant to save me. Now, I want to spend some time looking at, at this passage because from this point on, Jesus, it's, it's like this, this beeline to the cross. Jesus predicts his death. He has this conversation with his disciples, and then everything he does for the remainder of the book is this, he's, he's on, a, on a, a path to Jerusalem. He knows that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are out to get him. They, he knows that he's a wanted man, and he's walking right into the heart of everything, into Jerusalem, knowing what's going to happen. And we see that in, in, in Mark 10.32, right? It starts that they're walking there, and, and it says the disciples are astonished, and people are afraid. Why are they astonished and afraid? Because Jesus is, is walking out of safety into danger. And they're amazed at that. He knows what's going to happen. And then he tells them that, here's what's going to happen. We're going to Jerusalem, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be killed. But then I'll rise again. That was the mission he was on. He's not going to be distracted, not turn away. He is single-minded, single-focused. Why? Because he came to save me. He came to restore all people to himself. And uh, this, this exchange, it, it cracks me up. Because Jesus tells his disciples, here's what's going to happen. I am going to die. I am going to be murdered. And then they keep walking, and, and James and John come up to him, and, they, and they, they bring up the disciples' favorite topic of conversation, which is called, who's the best? And they come up to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Can you imagine that? Like, I laugh at the disciples, and then I feel bad because I do the same thing. <laughs> Right? God, I need you to do whatever I want. Right? God, do something for me, exactly what I want to do. That's what they do. They come up to him to ask him this question. And Jesus is so kind and patient says, what do you need? And what's their request? All right, we've got this plan. Right, I know you were just saying something about diet or something, but, but when you get into power, one and two. We'll be here, guys. I'll be right here. We'll, we'll figure out who's where later. Right? They're probably arguing amongst themselves, but... We're numbers one and two. Got it? We'll be right there with you. How's that sound? And Jesus responds, he's like, you don't know what you're asking. Again, I, he, he just predicted his death and I was going to be He's like, can you drink the cup I drink and rebaptize in the way I'm baptized? And without missing me, they're like, yep, we got it. But it's in it. Jesus, we're here. I think this audacity that he says, you, you will drink the cup. You will be baptized, but it's, what you're asking, is it my job to assign? That was verse 41. When the other 10, when the other disciples hear what's going on, they're indignant with those two. Right? And it's not this righteous anymore. It's like, guys, he just was talking about being murdered and you're asking about your position of power. You guys are idiots. No, they're just like, oh man, I was going to ask him that tomorrow. Hey, this was my chance, and I missed it. Right? They're mad at them because they missed out. And Jesus overhears this, and he calls them together. And he says, 
You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. You know that the way the world works, anyone who has authority wields their authority over everybody else. Make sure people know who's in charge, who's in bo- who's the boss. But he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first become the servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what I do is like, have you not watched what my life has been about? Even me, the Son of God, I came to serve and ultimately to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus was on this frantic mission, serving everyone, healing, restoring the broken, setting people free from bondage, and yet never takes his eyes off his ultimate mission. Every active step brought him one step closer to the cross. Even when the disciples didn't understand, even though he he knew the ultimate cause, he never deviated from the mission. Hey guys, this is, this is the ultimate difference between Jesus and every other religious leader ever. Right? This is the difference. We, we live in a culture that wants to, to teach the idea that, that all religions, all spiritual practices, they all are, are headed in the same place. And you just need to figure out which way works best for you. Right? Find a way to get closer to God. Whatever it is doesn't matter because we're all on the same path trying to get closer to God. And the Bible says no. Because there is nothing we could ever do that could, could get us closer to God. We are, sin, we are dead in our sins. Dead people can't do anything. And because of that, Jesus came to rescue us, to restore us. By doing what we could never do. No matter how hard we try, no matter how many good things we do to try to fix things, or no matter how many times we say we're sorry, or or whatever we do, we'll never do enough. But God came as a saving servant to save you and to save me, to rescue us and to restore us. And so as we understand this picture of Jesus, as we understand this this saving servant who came to restore Really, the question becomes, this Christmas, what, what is your response to this saving servant? What is your response to the God who came to serve and to save you? Because there's a response is needed. What do you do? They, these two, James and John, who, who probably later on looked back and, and probably thought, man, what were we thinking? Like, the audacity we had to go and ask the king of the universe to do whatever we wanted. And yet, they continued to follow Jesus. They saw him walk to Jerusalem. They saw him be beaten. They saw him crucified. And then they saw him raised back to life. And their response to the saving servant is, save me. And then their response is, now would you serve through me? 
and that's how they spent their lives. James was short-lived, one of the, the first of the apostles who was martyred because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus and Herod had him executed. Many other disciples followed too, and then you have John, his brother. John, the one disciple who is believed to have lived and died of old age, although it wasn't for lack of trying. There are stories of how he was attempted to be boiled in oil and how he was imprisoned and, and suffered greatly for Jesus. But he had been saved by the king of the universe, and so he allowed Jesus to serve through him and gave his life to serve. But then also on that road, listening to this whole interaction is Judas. Who Judas watched those same things happen, watched Jesus heal and serve, heard him teach and march headfirst into Jerusalem, ready to give his life. And, and Judas's response was, well, I, I'm, you're not going to save me. I'm going to save myself. So rather... They're letting Jesus serve him and save him. Judas took matters into his own hands. Tried to save himself and serve himself and betray Christ. And so all of us, even though Jesus came to save and he provided a rescue plan for all of us, we're, we're all left with that choice of what are you going to do? What is your response to this saving servant? Will you allow the saving servant to rescue you, to save you, and then to give your life to serve him and allow him to serve through you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that it's not up to us. It's not dependent on us or in our ability to do anything. Because, God, we, we never could do enough. And, God, in the midst of our sin, you, you chose to rescue us. You, God, you willingly came as a servant to heal the broken, to restore, to redeem, to rescue us and ransom us with your own life. And so, Jesus, this season of Christmas, as we get excited about the promises of who you are, God, may we marvel at what you did for us. God, may we bend our knee to you, allow you to save us, and give our lives in service for you. Jesus, we worship you today. Amen.